Hey, everybody. We want to thank you all who have supported the show. And anybody who is interested in supporting the show can check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash xchateau, or you can find the link on xchateau.com. We have over 100 episodes, and by becoming a patron, you can get access to 100-plus episodes. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. In today's episode, we're going to dive into the ROI of wine experiences. And our guest is Ali Wente, VP of Marketing and Customer Experience and Fifth Generation Wine Grower. Ali, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be back. For everybody that's interested in Ali's background, please check out our previous episode with her where she covered how she got into wine and her family's business, including the history since 1883. That's right. And so Wente's Vineyards has been a leader in developing experiences at a winery. You've got food and wine, concerts, weddings, a golf course, a whole bunch of different things. Could you give us an overview of what are the experiences you offer today? You just kind of hit the nail on the head. We have a championship golf course that was designed by Greg Norman. We have a tasting room on our beautiful property, same as the golf course, where we do you know your standard wine tasting to kind of more relaxed food and wine experiences, a reserved food and wine experience that's really high touch and really lovely to concerts we have we've been sort of doing a tribute band series lately because it's a fun homage to you know great bands throughout time and we have our first one coming next friday so we do a lot of music a lot of food and wine golf you name it we also rent the space out for weddings we do corporate events so we're doing a lot of different types of wine led events throughout all of our properties do you think of these experiences as a portfolio that are somehow connected or are they all perceived as like separate entities and separate functions that are just trying to answer one market segment? I think they're all related. We have different teams, of course, who manage. We have a golf team who manages the golf course, but we have a hospitality team that really oversees everything from our golf grill because that's hospitality food in wine to our, they're booking weddings and selling events. They're the ones managing the tasting room. So we'd like to look at everything connected because I think too, is you're introducing consumers to your brand and that brand should feel cohesive and the same across every touch point that they're able to be introduced to it. And I think that's, that's why hospitality and what we call the customer experience because it's broad, right? Falls in my org along with marketing, which is, you know, brand marketing and digital marketing and club and hospitality, because we really want everyone to be synced up and working together to put out the same message, the same feeling for customers. Do you see each time you create a new experience that it's a different tool to widen the funnel that's going to bring someone in contact with the Wente brand? Absolutely. And I think it depends on what that experience is. Some of our tribute pans, maybe we're speaking to an older crowd. I mean, depending on what the band is, but then you could have, you know, we have like Fleetwood Mask, but all of a sudden Fleetwood Mac is popular again with younger demographics. So you're having this like crazy mix of old and young, and it's exciting to see everyone there together and having fun. But that too, you know, we are always thinking about, okay, what's something new that we can bring to the table? Who are we trying to reach and talk to? Is this something, you know, maybe our older demographic? Because we certainly have an older demographic, but then we also have, you know, some 
some younger folks who are being introduced to Wenti and who are moving out to the area and experiencing what we have to offer on the Livermore Valley. So it's really thinking about how do we cater to all the different demographics of consumers that we have. When you're going after demographics, are you targeting them at sort of like equally? Like you're really just doing it by age range? Are you doing it by, you know, kind of a profile? Like how are you actually looking at a demographic for Wente? Yeah, we measure it through when we're trying to figure out who the demographic is. I think we can get insights on who's coming to our events. And we have, you know, good CRM where we can say, okay, who is this customer? What are they? Who are? We, we try to take as many notes as we can on who they are. We just upgraded all of our technologies and the tasting room so we can do a better job too of you know, clienteling these customers when they come to taste or if they come to a concert, we can take notes on them, figure out what they like, what they don't like, who are they? So we're trying to get smarter about keeping track of who our customers are and really becoming a data company, which I think a lot of people are realizing that you need to become more of a, a data company that happens to sell wine than a wine company that has data. So we definitely look at that. And I would say we're starting to do a better job of saying, okay, so if we're doing this type of event, we think that we're going to see maybe probably this is going to cater to 50 plus year olds. But if we do this style of event, a rosé all day event, maybe we're going to see more, you know, 30 year olds come um, to this event. And then we we like to say, is that what we saw? Or is that not what we saw? So that we can evaluate it at the end. A couple of examples you gave were playing a round of golf or going to a Fleetwood Mac concert. How do you make sure that Wente, the brand and the wine products are core to that experience? Because they seem very divergent in terms of like who might be interested in them and how do you even connect the wine brand to it? So, you know, if you're going to play golf at the golf course, you know, you're, first of all, you're driving in through the vineyards and you pass the tasting room on your way to the vineyard. So whether you want to or not, we're in front of you in some aspect there. We have, our, of course, our wines on the menu at the grill, which I'd say most golfers are ordering food and beverage before or after their round. We have wine on the golf cart, the beverage cart. I'm like, why can I not remember the name of this? A beverage cart. We have wine to offer there. So we're definitely making wine a part of your experience if you are open to that and if you would like that. Of course, not everyone who wants to golf is there to drink, but if they would like to, we certainly have it available and we can speak to it. And we have a trained staff who can tell you all about our wines. So, you know, our servers at the grill they aren't trained wine ambassadors, but they understand our wines and they're trained to tell the customers who are sitting there about them. So that's something that we're doing with our training to make sure that we're kind of have a seamless experience through and through. And then at our tasting room and more of our kind of concerts, which we have moved even away internally from calling them concerts, though I know I did that here for you guys today, but we really talk about them as wine and music events. So everything that we're doing we're trying to make it wine-led. We use, Our tasting room used to be a five-star five dining restaurant, white tablecloth. And we actually moved away from that model to make it a tasting lounge because we said, hey, you know, people are coming here for the food and we really want them to be coming here for the wine because that's what we do. So you come to our tasting room or you're, you come to Petty Theft, which I think is next Friday, and we are going to welcome you with a welcome glass of wine. So from the moment that you walk in, we're saying, welcome to Wenty Vineyards, have a glass of wine. That's what we do here. Interesting. And so 
for all these experiences, you probably have, especially managing them, you probably have some key metrics you look at to see if they're successful. What are some of those key metrics that you use to track? We've done things like sent out surveys to see if people had a great time or if they have anything that they would like to share with us. I think too, a really easy way to know if you're hosting an event that was successful or not was, did we sell out? How many tickets did we sell? How hard was it to sell the tickets? I think sometimes too is a factor to say, and we did this last year where we had certain tribute bands and some of them were really hard to sell all of the tickets we needed to sell. We ended up selling out, but because of the effort it took to sell all the tickets, we said, we don't want to have them back because if we are really hitting the mark with our core consumers, it shouldn't be that hard to sell the ticket. And so I think those are some of the like really easy metrics that we're doing. And then of course, the social engagement that we see when we're posting, what we're seeing other people post and tagging us, and we like to reshare and repost what they're doing. So I think it's a little bit of, you know, there's contextual ROI that you can feel and see when you're there. There is the ROI on the ticket sales and the profit from it. Also, you know, how much wine did we sell at a certain event? That's always something that we look at because we're really not trying to make a ton of money off the tickets. We're trying to make money off of the wine sales. So were people having a good time? Was this band engaging them that they wanted to go up to the bar, buy more wine, continue having a great night with their friends? Or was it sort of a sleeper and no one's really drinking that much and people are leaving early? You know, so there's ways to track that. You mentioned earlier that you're trying to embed data more and more into the company. Are there new metrics with all the new systems? And maybe you don't have enough that you're not don't have a ton of insight, but that you're starting to track based on the new systems? I think we're trying to get better at saying, okay, I think really understanding the customer journey in a stronger way to say, okay, so who's buying the tickets to our shows? Have they been to the tasting room before? And is that where they learned of it? Are they a regular customer? Have they only seen us once? If they bought the ticket, did they they ever come back and visit us again? And then do they end up becoming a club member? And I think that that's like the story we're trying to piece together to understand. Did our events introducing people to, are they introducing us to new customers? So there's different journeys, right? I'm trying not to like bounce back and forth between different journeys. So is the event the reason that they're coming to us for the first time? And then do they come back to us again? And what is the lifetime value of that customer that this event created? Or did they come to the tasting room first? And then they they found out about the event while they were at the tasting room. So then they came to the concert and then did they come back or want to join the club? So I think there's like different ways that we can track our customers and map their journeys and then understand the total lifetime value of what they are contributing to the business. And that's where we're trying to get smarter. We haven't figured out the perfect system because it's a little hard, but we're setting up the technology in place so that we're able to do that. And then part of it too is resourcing the team to make sure that you have enough resources to be able to really dig into the data and track that type of movement. So you mentioned return on investment is key for your experiences and are most, and you mentioned that some of the experiences are really, it's just about covering the cost and then hopefully it leads to other wine sales and food and beverage sales. So is that uniform across all the different experiences or is there some that you're trying to be more profitable on than others? That's pretty uniform. I'll say the exception is weddings. We sell the a rental fee essentially for the property and that is 
somewhat pure profit. So it's, it's really great. And then as a part of the agreement, they have to take, I think, a minimum number of cases of wine. And most people end up buying more than that because we don't force a crazy amount of wine on people. So yeah, that sort of operates in its own way, though I would say that most people that I have personally come in contact with who are local to the Bay Area, maybe Northern California, a lot of them will say the first time they ever came to Wente was because of a wedding or someone they knew getting married here. And then they were, oh, wow, how beautiful is this property? And it, it piqued their interest and they wanted to learn more. So I think weddings are a really valuable marketing tool for us, but sort of operate in their own way, though we have a team who oversees to make sure everything is working well. And from an experience standpoint, we still put our best foot forward. It's interesting that so many people have been to a wedding roughly on a, on a normal year. How many weddings would you guys do a year? We've scaled back quite a bit, but we used to have pre-2020 and I would, I can't, I'm not even sure off the top of my head, but gosh, probably north of 60 weddings a year. I think we were... We probably had them every maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday, potentially Sunday of let's call it like wedding spring to, to fall and then your occasional winter wedding. So we did a lot of weddings in the past and we had a full catering team and a full service wedding planning team before 2020. So we did all the cooking and catering in-house. We did all your wedding planning in-house. Like we had a lot of it. We've since kind of scaled back because it wasn't the most, well, it was again, a really great marketing tool for the type of experience we could pull off. It wasn't the most profitable way to manage weddings. And so we've sort of flipped that model on its head. And now we're really just renting out the property and having a resource available to guests. But I think it still works really well. And it's still, is a, it's hard to, not have a beautiful experience out on the property because naturally it's just a, a lovely little nook. <laughs> I'm curious when we look at like ROI and we're kind of looking at the bottom, like the end goal of the funnel, is that purely an LTV, the consumer, or is it uh, getting them as the, the endpoint, getting them to sign up for the wallop? Like what does good look like for these different experiences? I mean, if we can make everybody sign up for the wine club, I would say, wow, let's shut down our wholesale business and just focus on club. No, I'm kidding. But it really is signing people up for the club is the the pinnacle of good. It is the hardest thing to do because it's not an easy feat. You know, I think we have we have two different clubs on average, I would say one of them is probably $300 every quarter. And then the other one is like four to $500 every quarter. So we have like our small lot club and then our nth degree club. And I'm just talking about Wente Vineyards, but our Myriad as well tasting room also has clubs. And, you know, I think last Saturday we sold in 10 clubs on just Saturday. And if you take the average and I'll just take the, the cheaper club, cheaper, quote unquote, it's not cheap. That's a $12,000 of annual recurring revenue just right there. And a lot of the times your club members are also your biggest spenders because they love your brand and they believe in your brand. So they're not just getting their club quarterly shipments, they're getting, they're adding on more, they're coming to the property more often. So they're really important customers. And for us, if we could convert everybody to a club member, that would be dynamite. <laughs> so I'm curious, as as you look at the different experiences that you offer, have you found that certain experiences convert to the club better than others? And could you give us a couple of data points? Absolutely. I mean, our, our food and wine experiences convert 
people to club members better than anything. And, you know, if you were to ask our wine sales ambassadors, they would tell you that the the more attention and love you can show your customers, the more time you can spend tableside with them, the more likely they are to join up for the club because they feel special. They feel like they were treated like a VIP or given a special experience. And so for our food and wine experiences, we have dedicated ambassadors who take you through these experiences. It's a really kind of high touch you do feel special. It is elevated. We put you at really lovely tables. And so I think that one is, well, maybe not the largest profit turner from an experience perspective for us because of the food aspect. It's definitely converts more people to club on a regular basis. Are you measuring it on um, like the number of, are you looking at the number of visitors that come in in a given day and how many sign up for the club? Is that kind of the target metric you're looking for? We do have a benchmark average on that. And I would say we, I think it's, and this is funny. I just asked my club member or my club manager this question the other day. I don't want to say the wrong number. I think it's on average, like six to 8% of your visitors will become club members. And so for us, it's trying to get to 8% or north of that to be um, successful. Okay. So you're looking at that year over year, doing trainings for your staff to kind of move that needle in that regard. Yeah. You know, we look at it year over year, but we're looking at it pretty frequently. So we look at it almost on a weekly basis. How many people did we sign up last week? When we signed up for, signed up 10 people on Saturday, our club manager had a a club prize. You know, whoever signs up the most is going to get a prize. So we're doing a lot of incentives Our wine sales ambassadors are also, well, they are incentivized on signing up club members. So if you sign up a small lot club member, you get, I can't remember how much money, but you do get money back. If you sign up an nth degree club member, you get more. So let's say you get $30 for every nth club member you sign up and you get $50 for every, sorry, small lot and then $50 for every nth club member. So different incentives. And then we also will layer on, you know, different prizes and we're constantly doing things to kind of motivate and move the needle. And to use a reference of the wine and music events that you're doing, what does a good target look like for something like that? So this is an area that is somewhat new to us where we haven't spent a lot of time in the past looking at how we could make these people club members. But now we've really shifted our focus this year to say, why are we not? Why are we not capturing these people and trying to draw them through the funnel more. So for instance, next Saturday, we're going to have a club booth set up where we're going to have our club manager there talking about our clubs, giving special incentives to sign up for the club that day, you know, sign up for the club, you'll get 30% off your club, your first shipping of your club shipment. If you sign up today, right here, right now. So we're trying to do a better job with that. And then I would also say we're just trying to get better with getting everybody's emails who come to these events. A lot of the time, you know, one person buys all the tickets, but it's like, who else is here at the event with you? And can we get to know those people? And so we're trying to also think through, again, what's the customer journey when they get to the concerts and how are we engaging with them and trying to understand who they are, all these different people. Where can we get them to sign up for our emails? Where can we, you know, introduce them to the club? If you can't get the club emails, uh, second prize, that isn't bad either. So... All these people that come and experience all that Wenti has to offer, have you seen those people who come, especially your better customers, have better retention with Wenti or does it not make much of a difference? Do you track that information? 
We strongly believe that the tasting room is not going to be the largest profit driver for the company. The point of the tasting room and our events is to engage with our customers and create really a relationship with them so they feel connected to us on a deeper level. I remember almost every winery I've ever been to if I had a great experience and I'll buy their wines because I'll think, oh, remember when I had this most incredible experience at Pride and I walked out of their caves and they were serving pizza and I was this beautiful valley. And so, yeah, I buy Pride everywhere I see it almost because I had such a good experience there. And I think that's the goal for us too, is that we want to create these long lasting memories and relationships with customers at the tasting room and through our events. You have this whole portfolio of different events and experiences. Do you compare across like in terms of ROI and return and look at that as a portfolio and make trade-offs as to what you're going to do and maybe even with other sales and marketing initiatives? Yeah, we do. We definitely look at the ROI to say, where do we want to put our time and investment? Because again, it's that mid-sized winery thing where we are, our marketing team is also our brand marketing team. Our digital team is supporting brand marketing. They're supporting the tasting rooms. They're supporting club. They're updating the website. And by the way, that's two people. So it's, you know, we do have to kind of say, and sometimes even say, what's the bigger deal between this wholesale initiative and this D2C initiative? And which one are we going to focus on? Because we can't do it all. And so, yeah, we're constantly making those calls. And I think that's, that's really the role I play for my team to come in and say, okay, let's review the priorities. What are we going to focus on? We can't do everything. So it's this or that. Let's look at the ROI and we'll make a decision. So I am curious in your role about when you took over in your position, what are some of the experience that you guys were doing that you aren't doing anymore? Like what hasn't worked and hasn't proved fiscally responsible and things that you've changed? When I first took over this role, we had, so our, our old restaurant that was a you know white tablecloth restaurant, we invested quite a bit of money to modernize it, to kind of reshape it. I was not actually even working for the company at that point. But when I came in and we had relaunched it in 2019 to open it up to become what it then was, which we called the Vineyard Table and Tasting Lounge which I think was a really confusing concept to people because they did not understand what we were doing. I think what we were trying to do was have a little bit of lighter fare, sort of more like wine bar-esque feeling, but also be a tasting room at the same time. Super confusing for people. And so during 2020, when we shut down, we also had two tasting rooms for Wenty Open at that time. We have a production facility where we have kind of like our original tasting room. It's on a totally separate property. And then we had this vineyard table and tasting lounge, which is on the property where our golf course is at. And so first of all, we had this new concept that people didn't understand what it was. Then we had two different tasting rooms that had completely different feels. The Tesla we call it Tesla because that's where the production facility is. You know, it really felt old. Like it felt like a historic tasting room. You go to the vineyard table and tasting lounge. It looked like a beautiful California mission style, just like very Mediterranean, completely separate and different feeling. So in 2020, we kind of took the opportunity to shut them both down. Of course, like everybody had to, but while we were shut down, we said, what's working and what's not working. And what wasn't working was 
having two different tasting rooms with completely different brand feeling and essence. And then the concept I think that we had as the vineyard table and tasting lounge wasn't working. So we, our production facility is still close to the public today. We did not open it back up. It is now just kind of like an internal property. And then we refocused all of our time and attention to really turning the vineyard table and tasting lounge just into a tasting lounge. Take food out of the, you know, at that point you could walk in and you could get a menu that you could order a burger and you didn't have to order wine. Well, we're a wine business. Like we were talking about wine should be the focus of everything we're doing. So when you come to the property and you want to have food, well, why don't you have a wine and food experience versus sitting down and ordering a burger a la carte. So we've been focusing a lot on trying to reposition our tasting lounge to being wine-led and having food and wine experiences versus a restaurant. I'll say it's still a struggle. We have a lot of people who loved having the restaurant and they still probably want it. But I think at the end of the day, we're putting our best foot forward on showcasing what we do best, and that's make fabulous wines. And so we're continuing that effort. And I think from a brand messaging standpoint, at least that part has gotten much better in saying, this is what Wenty Vineyards represents. This is who we are, not you're getting two different expressions at two different locations. I'm curious in that example, was it more like a qualitative rationale for why it wasn't working or was it something quantitative? Like, is it, it wasn't as profitable or was it that the feedback you were getting from the customers was more qualitative and and they were confused? Like some of those rationales seem great, but they also seem hindsight 2020, a little squishy, maybe in a moment. I'm curious on how you got to that point. Uh, Both. It was definitely feedback from the local community, foot traffic. You know, we just weren't getting as much foot traffic as we had hoped for. And yeah, it still wasn't profitable because at the end of the day, we were operating a kitchen and we were still cooking and we still had tons of staff. And thank goodness we're not running that business now because goodness, it's hard to find staff still. So yeah, I think being able to reposition ourselves as just a tasting lounge also made us be able to focus in more on the operating model, what percentage of our revenue is going to be an operating expense, and then what is our expected profit. You know, we were able to get tighter on that. Well, then again, you know, continuing to talk about wine and serve more wine to customers so they could get a sense for what we're really good at. And so I'm curious now, because you had mentioned earlier that one of the experiences you weren't really, uh, the wine and music series, you weren't really sure what the target metrics are for some of that yet, because it's kind of a new positioning for it. What are the experiences that you have your eye on that you want to make sure are doing the right things for your business? What are you kind of like monitoring? I think that what I most focus on is actually our food and wine experiences at our tasting lounge. I want to grow those. I want to start figuring out how we do more. How do we mix it up? How do we market them differently? Because again, those are turning our club customers at the highest rate. So it's thinking about how do we improve on that? How do we get more creative? Do we bring in a chef who is going to, you know, like a well-known chef who can help us and co-curate menus for a month with us and do some fun engaging event with them. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas. My brand manager was pitching to me, like, should we bring in somebody to redesign one of the rooms in the tasting room to bring people in and have an interior design aspect to what we're doing here? And I thought that was a really fun and interesting idea. So we're kind of always thinking about, again, that would that would really talk to our customers who are interested in interior design. And we know we have some people who are interested in that from some of the research that we've done. So it's like, okay, so how would we talk to this consumer segment and get them interested in what we're doing over here 
on a local level, but also a national level. So it's, there's so many different things that we're evaluating all the time. But from what I'm most focused on, I would say is probably our food and wine experiences. So in the pandemic, digital and virtual experiences kind of blew up. They are waning a little bit as we've gone to reopen. What's your view on their usefulness and the future of them? I think digital experiences are going to always be a part of what we're doing. I mean, the people are just, they're constantly on their technology. You know, they're on their phones, they're on their computer. They're, we're such a digital culture now. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it evolves. During the pandemic, we launched an Amazon Alexa and Google Home virtual tasting. And we were the first winery to do that. But you can say... Alexa enable virtual wine tasting and she'll say, hi, welcome to Wendy Vineyard's virtual wine tasting. And so she'll take you through it. And we were really thinking, okay, so the tasting rooms are shut down. People are at home. How do we bring the wine tasting experience to them with wines they can buy at the store? So I think there's always going to be that level of innovation. It's going to be interesting to see how it evolves and how technology evolves to really engage with customers differently, you know, through things like virtual reality. And it'll just be really interesting. But I think that there's a place for it. It's just going to depend on, you know, how it comes to life. So we've recorded another episode with you. So we've already asked our classic wrap up question. I have a different one for you. If you were able to share a glass of wine with someone alive or dead, who would you share it with and why? Why don't I just go with somebody really fun and alive? Because we could just go so many different directions. I would just love to have a glass of wine with Beyonce. Let's call it that. There you go. Why not? Queen B. Queen B. Yeah. Uh, Queen B. Is, Queen she B. likes her wine. So there you go. Will she have to sing with you while you're having a glass of wine? Or <laughs> I, I would love if she could sing to me while I was having wine. No, I would just want to talk to her. I feel like I feel like it would make me like you know, a little bit more interesting if I could just have a glass of wine with Beyonce. All right, casually. casual wine with Beyonce. I like Very it. Casual. Sorry for the curveball, but... Uh, there you go. <laughs> keeping it interesting here. Well, again, thank you for sharing all of your experiences around the Wente experiences and, and what makes them profitable and how you track them. It's super insightful. Oh, thank you guys. This was a fun conversation and I hope that you can come to experience it yourself. And so come out to the Livermore Valley. I'd love to have a glass of wine with you. Sounds great. Will do. Don't forget to support the show at xchateau.com or patreon.com slash xchateau. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers.